How are y'all? Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you. I want to welcome you here, and we are glad you're here at First Baptist. I think um, we've had enough welcoming already today, so we hope that you're all welcomed, and we want you to be feel, know that we're glad that you're here. On the very back page, there's a QR code there. If, um, that if you're a guest, we would love for you just to scan that, and it gives you all the information um, that you can request about our church. Also, inside the pew, there should be a card there if you don't know what a QR code is. And so I understand that. I had to be told what one is as well. So um, if you'll notice the um, announcements, Thanksgiving food boxes are coming. Women's Christmas dinners on the way and tickets are on sale for that. Operation Christmas Child, um, the, the packing is tonight, right? At 6 o'clock. And so um, please take part of that. It's always a fun time for them and, 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 and good time for the church. And then also the, a little bit about Lottie Moon. Speaking of Lottie Moon, this, James put the graphic up. And I just wanted you to see this. Um, last year, our IMB, International Mission Board, worked in 122 countries, 728,589,000 people heard the gospel. That's specific gospel presentations. 1,000 178,177 new believers. We get amen on that? Amen. So that's awesome. Um, 21,231 churches, new churches, and 102, 417 baptisms. That's, that's what Lottie Moon Christmas Offering helps take care of. It, it, it supplies for our missionaries the needs that they have so that they can do this type of ministry. And so I want to encourage you. I spent this past April, a couple weeks, as you know, in Malaysia with some of our missionaries and just saw firsthand how dedicated they are to getting the gospel out and how to, to teach the word and to spread the gospel. So I want to encourage you. Our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal this year is 105000 We met that last year. We can do it again this year. So I hope that you will give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Are you ready to worship? Our call to worship this morning is right out of Revelation. Let's read this, read this together. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the good news that we just saw and the things that we have prayed for and given to. We thank you for the people who are hearing the gospel. And we know that's just one small part of the pie. That's just what Southern Baptists are doing. We know, Lord, that others have joined and, and are sharing in that great commission. And so we are excited to know that many in this world are hearing the gospel for the first time and receiving, that new peoples are coming to you, and that we're seeing the very verses that we just said together being formed, that there will one day indeed be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue singing your praises. Lord, we just pray that that day will come soon. We thank you for this time that we can worship you. 
We thank you that we can read your word, that we can hear your word, sing your word, that the word can be preached and heard and applied, and that, Lord, we can give and do the things that you've called us to do. So bless this time, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. As Earl Fagan is coming up, it's not often that we get to say happy birthday to a 91-year-old, Miss Betty McKinney's birthday today. So happy birthday, Miss Betty. We are happy for you. morning. This morning's reading comes from the Gospel of John, <clears throat> chapter 9, verses 7 through 18. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to st steal and kill and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Join our voices and sing joyfully, wonderful grace of Jesus.
encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We started a new series last week and looked at verses 1 and 2. Um, speaking of uh, Bible study, this Wednesday night and then the Wednesday night after Thanksgiving, Ed Glasscock, Dr. Glasscock will be teaching. Um, he's been, will share with me not long ago, he'd been studying Hebrews a lot. I think a couple passages out of Hebrews so this coming Wednesday night and then on Wednesday after Thanksgiving, um, he'll be teaching up in the, um, I'm just going to call it up in the big room because so many classes have been up there now, the big room up there. And um, so we're looking forward to that. But um, would you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you and we praise you for the gift of song. Lord, to to sing of your amazing grace by the words of a man who, who by testimony was so vile that sailors were afraid to be around him. And yet he came to know your grace. Somehow I think he, he would appreciate the addition to a song about chains being gone because a former slave trader turned, turned slave set free and, and then free by your gospel, worked to set slaves free in his life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the resurrection. And Lord, we, we're very mindful that on a weekend that our nation has set aside a day to remember our veterans, that, that we enjoy this freedom Obviously, because you have set us free. We know that there is freedom in Christ regardless of where a person may be. But we're mindful of the freedoms that we get to enjoy. And we're thankful for those who have secured those freedoms for us. And we do stop and pray for our leaders. From the commander-in-chief all the way down to the private, and every one of our services, we ask, God, that you would protect them and guide them and give them wisdom. And we continue to pray, as we do often, that those veterans today, those who are former, who are veterans and those who are active duty, that we will remember them on Veterans Day and not Memorial Day. Protect them, God, we pray, and thank you for the freedoms we have in this country and let us be let us be quick to use that freedom for the good of your gospel we're mindful of the craziness of our world we we watch people march in favor of a group like Hamas and God we we're burdened by the direction and we know that what we need most of all is revival in your church. That those who claim to be followers of Christ would not only read your word, but believe what they read and believe what it says and act upon it. And so as we come this morning to your word, we just confess that we believe your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we ask you, to go down deep beyond 
bone and marrow, to soul and spirit, and sow your word in us that it might reap a hundredfold, a thousandfold. We believe your word is God-breathed, breathed from you, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. That the man of God, that the woman of God may be thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so because we believe that, we now open this letter from heaven Written by Paul, yes, but inspired by your spirit. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, as you led Paul to write these words, would you now illuminate our hearts and minds to understand them? This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to try to cover verses 3 through 8. I say try because these, well... All 90 plus verses in Colossians are loaded with truth. But I want to invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word and the preaching of God's word. And, and I know on the screen, verses 3 through 8 will show up, but I want to read through verse 14. So follow along in your Bibles, please. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now that's our text for today, but let's read, continue. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom... We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. As we approach Thanksgiving, just a couple weeks, um, I guess a good question for all of us is, what makes us thankful? What is it that brings out the Thanksgiving in you? It's interesting to see how often the Apostle Paul was thankful. He, he expressed his thanksgiving in almost every letter. In Romans chapter 1, verse 8, he was thankful that their faith was proclaimed in all the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, he's thankful for the grace of God that was given them in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1, verse 16, he gives thanks for all that Christ has done in them. And he's thankful for their faith and love. 
In Philippians 1.3, he simply says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He mentions giving thanks always to the Thessalonians in his, in his first letter. And then in, in his second letter he, to the Thessalonians, he's, he's, he's specifically giving thanks because their faith was growing abundantly. And their love was increasing. Paul writes his son Timothy in the faith. He says he's thankful that God was giving him strength. Paul was a thankful man. It's interesting that the things that that make Paul thankful center around the gospel. The things that bring the thanksgiving out of Paul center around the gospel and its impact upon the people who believe. So what makes us thankful? One of the reasons I love Colossians is, is this prayer that we are going to study for a couple of weeks. I find myself often going to it and using it in my own prayer time as I also go to Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. Paul's prayers are rich. And what we get first here is a glimpse into Paul's prayer life. We get a glimpse into his prayer life. Look what he says in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, there's two things that that stick out to me. The first we've already talked about was thanksgiving is a huge part of Paul's life. It's a huge part of Paul's prayer life. I want to encourage you as you pray, don't, don't just jump to the request. Don't just use the week of thanksgiving to be thankful. I'm, I'm a believer that Thanksgiving may be our nation's most Christ-centered holiday. And what I mean by that is we don't commercialize it, do we? We just get together and we're thankful. We're thankful for the things that God has done. Don't, don't jump to the request in our prayers. Let's, let's spend time thanking him. Let's spend time Centering our thoughts on what he has done for us and and thanking him and praising him for what and for who he is. Don't don't quickly take the credit for it. Give credit to God and thank him. But the second thing is that's interesting to me is that Paul is giving thanks and praying always for a church that he's never met. I told you last week in the introduction, Paul didn't plant this church. Epaphras did. Paul shared the gospel in Ephesus, it would seem, and Epaphras hears the gospel and, and comes and as, as the gospel spreads throughout all Asia, and, 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 and Colossae is a part of that. But Paul is praying for a church he's never been to and he's never met. Our prayers as, as, as believers can't just stay within our own church. They can't just stay within our own denomination. We've got to pray for the global church. Constantly praying for the church across this world as it sees the gospel spread. We ought to be praying for the church in Iran and the church in Iraq. We should be praying for the believers in both Israel and Palestine. We should be praying for the believers in Ukraine and Russia. We we should be praying for the church. And when we see graphs like I showed you earlier, 
It should thrill us to see that the gospel is spreading. It should make us thankful. It's interesting that in verse 2, we saw this last week in, in Paul's blessing. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. But here he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Maybe the key word here is Lord. We always thank God the Father for our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is, as we know, the Son of God in a, in a unique way that you and I will never be. He's the firstborn. We'll never be the Son of God like Jesus is the Son of God. But because of what Jesus did... We can know our Father now as Father. Let me say it differently. Jesus is the unique Son of God. And because of what we're about to celebrate in December with the Advent, because of that and because of Good Friday and because of, of, of crucifixion and resurrection and ascension and because of Pentecost, because of all those things, we now get to know His Father as our Father but not in the same way because he's, he's God. He's God and Jesus was God. And he says, the father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. You think about what Paul will say of Jesus even in, in Colossians. Look down in verse 19. He says of Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Wow. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Over in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. God is our Father. He's Abba. But only because Jesus Christ our Lord left the glory of heaven and came to pay the price for our sin so that we could enter a relationship with God as our Father. Let's not take it for granted that we can call God Father. One of my seminary professors said, the God to whom we pray is the God whom Jesus Christ has made known to us. We have seen His glory. We've seen him in the body of Christ. Paul's prayer life centers in God. It centers in God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it starts and continues with thanksgiving. He was thankful. Piper said thanksgiving was the banner of Paul's prayer life. What's the banner of your life? What's the banner of, of your prayer life? Is it, is it request? Is it, is it a list of things you want God to do? Or, or, or is it worship and thanksgiving and praise? You, you look at Paul and you see the thanksgiving here. We get a glimpse into his prayer life. But we also see the reason for Paul's thanksgiving here. The reason for his thanksgiving. Look at our next verse. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, 
because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Paul's thanksgiving centers in what some have called the three cardinal virtues of the Christian life, faith, hope, and love. Now, we, we know that from Corinthians, but these are just faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. But it's interesting that Paul reverses the order. He, he says faith, love, and hope. And I want to suggest that Paul doesn't do that by accident. Paul's not an accidental writer. He's an inspired writer. And so as the Spirit is leading him, Paul is writing, and as he writes, he changes the word order for us, and he's showing us something. I, I was studying this week, and, 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 and it just comes out to me as I studied a couple people. They, they help me understand it, all sinners in this little preposition, because. Because of the hope laid up for you. Paul heard of their faith. He heard of their faith. He, he heard of their love for the saints. But he said, he said their faith and their love existed, get this, because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. Paul is thankful for what the hope of the gospel produces. He's thankful for what the hope of the gospel produces. Now, that seems backwards. In our way of thinking, it would seem that hope comes because of faith and love. That we have faith and we have love, and because of that, we have hope. But, but Paul is showing us that, that faith and love come because of hope. And this is key for us to understand. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Hope is expressed in many ways in the Bible. You can go through and, and look it up and see. Um, a couple of people pointed out there are three main ways that hope is expressed. In 1 Peter 1.13, we're told to set your hope on the grace. Now, I just took a phrase out of that, but he says, set your hope on the grace. Their hope's an act. You set your hope on this. It's an act that you must take. In Acts 28, 20, he tells the elders in Rome, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Hope there is, is an object. The hope of Israel. It was an act. Set your hope. Now it's an object. It's something that you set your hope into the hope of Israel. It's, it's, like, it's like what the writer of Hebrews said about Moses. He said, he considered the reproach of Christ. Isn't that interesting that the New Testament writers, that Moses considered the reproach of Christ of greater, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? He was looking toward the reward. The reward is an object that Moses looked toward. We, we look toward something in our faith. We look toward the hope that is laid up for us. Hope again is, is used in Colossians 
I told you last week, I think this is the theme of Colossians, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Their hope is a person. And so hope is an act. Hope is an object. Hope is a person. What is it here in our text? I think it's, it's the object. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The object of our hope, because of what is laid up in heaven, the thing for which we are hoping, what is that hope? What's laid up for us in heaven? Well, Paul helps us in just a few verses. In chapter 1, verse 12, he speaks of the inheritance that we have. In chapter 1, verse 13, is the promise of being transferred from, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. So the hope is a part of being in the kingdom of his son. In chapter 1, verse 14, it's the forgiveness of sins. In chapter 2, 1, 27, it's again Christ in us. That's just a taste of in Colossians what the hope is. It's it's an inheritance. It's, it's, it's the kingdom of Jesus that we've been placed into and that we will be in for eternity. It's forgiveness. It's Christ in us. That's the hope they heard. Paul says, of this, of this hope laid up, of this hope you heard before in the, the word of truth, the gospel. Notice something there. The word of truth. The gospel. The gospel's truth, church. I think it was Piper who said, it's not made up. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. Get this, in our age, it's not my truth versus your truth. There's no such thing. There's truth. Not my truth, not your truth, not our truth. Their truth is truth. Truth that we see in the Word. Truth that we see in Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. His Word is truth. And so he says, you've heard it before in the Word of truth. The gospel, it's, it's literally the word, the truth, the gospel. We have a word, we have a truth, we have a gospel, and Paul is teaching something amazing that I think if we can catch it, if we can grasp it, it may just change the way we do evangelism. What he's saying is this, when we present the gospel, what we're presenting is the eternal hope that Christ has secured for us. When we speak with lost people, ultimately we are talking about the eternal hope that we have in heaven. It's, it's ultimately kept in heaven. But there's an already but not yet relationship with it in our life. We, we have it coming but we're enjoying it now as well. We set our minds on it. We live it out in our life. It changes our here. It changes our now. 
when we see the gospel, hope. When we see the gospel, hope is something glorious. When we present the gospel hope as all glorious. And when people get a view of the glory of the hope of Christ, we see how it shapes our eternity and it gives us heaven. It gives us God's presence. We, we taste it. We taste and see that God is good and the glory of the hope laid up for us and the sight of that glory. Hear me. The sight of that glory leads to faith. It's when we see the hope laid up for us, secured by Jesus Christ on the cross. When we present that and people see that, when we present the hope, it leads to faith. The gospel awakens faith. The gospel of hope awakens it. Now, there's an object to faith, and that's Jesus. It's faith in Christ Jesus, if you'll notice. When we see the glory of God and his gospel, when we taste that, we, we want him over everything else, and faith comes in. So what's our job? Our job is to present Jesus as all-glorious. Our job is to present Jesus and what he did on the cross is a beautiful thing. Our job is to show people the, the hope that is laid up for them in heaven. And as they see that, they say, can I have that? Yes, you can. All you must do is call upon the name of the Lord and receive it. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can receive it. We want him above everything else. And that's where faith comes that's why the writer of Hebrews says it becomes assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Hope is laid up for us. That hope leads to action. It leads to faith. And then that faith leads to love. It's the love for God and the love for the saints. We, we, we fall in love with the one who has secured our hope. We, when, when hope awakens faith through the word of truth, when it awakens faith through the gospel, it changes everything. Again, studying him. And someone just opened my eyes to this, and, and I want to share it and see if it, it can help you as much as it, can, as it helped me. Just, just turn in your Bibles to, for a moment back to Hebrews chapter 11. I referred to it just a second ago with Moses. Hebrews 11. Look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. We know that. We, we told that in Exodus. Because they saw the child was beautiful, they were they were not afraid of the king's edict. Remember that Pharaoh had, had said to kill all the, the children. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, you remember his parents 
hit them as long as they could. And his mom put them in a basket and, and pushed the basket out into the water. And Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. And she brought him up. By faith, verse 24, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God. He chose to do that. Choosing, verse 25, rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, look at this, to enjoy the feeding pleasures of sin. Moses had a lifestyle as the daughter of Pharaoh that no Jewish person in Egypt had. Moses had the lifestyle of the rich and famous. Everything was at his disposal. But he chose not to live that. He chose and refused to be Pharaoh's daughter, be called Pharaoh's daughter. He refused and chose to be mistreated with the people of God. Why? Because he would not enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? Why? Look at the text. Verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Why? I, I think the writer of Hebrews asked, as, as, as Paul is asking in Colossians, why spend the 80, 90, 100 years we have on this earth giving everything we have for what the writer calls the fleeting pleasures of sin? Why put everything we have into the fleeting pleasures of sin when we are eternal beings? We're eternal. We want to reap now and pay later. But the Bible tells us to sow now. And the promise is that we'll reap later. Sow into the kingdom life. Sow into what the Christian life is called. Sow into taking up your cross and denying yourself. Sow into the hard life and the mistreatment of the people of God. Sow into that. Because we have a father who will reward us with the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. We're eternal beings. So Paul is thankful for what the hope of the gospel produces. Faith, hope, and love. But he's also thankful for the fruit that the gospel produces. If you look at verse 6, he says, it came to you. The gospel came to them. We, 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 we put it together and think that Epaphras heard the gospels in Ephesus and, and he came back home to Colossae and shared the gospel with them. The gospel came to them and through hope produced faith and love. They saw the hope that was presented to them and they placed faith in Christ and love came as a result. The same gospel, he says, was producing all over the world and it was bearing fruit and increasing. What Paul is saying is not that the whole world had heard the gospel by then. He's saying that wherever the gospel is preached, it's producing the same results. 
We tend to judge the growth of the church by what's happening in America. But the church is growing in the world. I've told you that Iraq, the church is growing. Iran, the church is growing. Muslim world, the church is growing. It's beginning to take seed. We see it in Africa. We see it in China. You see it in other places. The gospel bears fruit. Hope produces faith, love, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and go on. The gospel transforms us. It transforms us internally. Internally. That's the first step. That, that's internal transformation. That's faith. The moment we place faith in the hope that is laid up for us in heaven, we're justified. We're, we're declared not guilty of our sin. We're declared to be righteous with the righteousness of Christ. The Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. Everything begins to change because everything has changed. It transforms us internal, but there's also an external transformation. Internally and externally, it transforms us. I think we could say the internal is faith. You could say that, that the external is love. It's expressed by love for God and love for God's people. You can't follow God and not be changed. I realize the pace is different for every follower. You go out on a place where people run, and, and there are some people who seem to be forgetting that they're sprinting. They're running four-minute miles, five-minute miles. They're running like River Richard and not <laughs> like Sailor, right? Um, they're, they're running like River, just flying down the, the trails. And then if, if you see me out there right now, I'm just barely walking. But I'm moving. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Payback. You, I deserve that. We, we're moving. We, we run at a different pace, but, but, but each of us must be moving. It's a continual move. We're growing in Christ. We know this because Paul says in Philippians that what he begins, he finishes. What he starts, he completes. You just look at, let's just look and close with this. Look at Epaphras. Look at what God did in Epaphras' life. He says it in verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He was a fellow servant with Paul and Timothy. What does he do when he comes to, to home, to Colossae? He says, just as you learned it. That word learned is a word that's related to the word for disciple. He, he taught them. He, he, he discipled them. He, he shared with them what Paul had taught him. He, he shared with them. Paul had poured into him. And now, as we saw last week, he's pouring into someone else. Are we making disciples? Are we, are we learning and are we teaching? He's a beloved fellow servant. He's a fellow bond slave. He surrendered his will to Christ. Has your knee bowed to Christ as Lord? Are you, are you surrendering your will to him daily? Are you under his lordship? He's a faithful minister of Christ on their behalf. That word minister is often translated as deacon. But he served them. He served them by bringing the hope of the gospel to them and by teaching them the word. Where, where is it that you're ministering? Where is it that you're serving in the body of Christ? 
Where are you serving outside the body of Christ? Where, where are you being a faithful servant? Where are you being a faithful minister? He made known to Paul of their love in the Spirit. It's the only specific time that the Holy Spirit's mentioned here in Colossians. But the beauty is that the Spirit is in them, and that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is producing the love that we see in verse 4. We see the, the, the love that you have in the Spirit, he says. That love is coming from, from the faith that, that, that came from the hope. It's interesting, in Romans 8 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God, of Christ, does not belong to Him. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to share. And as we share, we know that, that as we present the hope, that, that people see the hope and they place faith in Christ. And that faith is coming from the Holy Spirit's conviction. And, 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 and that Holy Spirit then moves inside of them as a result of faith. And, and the same Holy Spirit produces love and he produces joy and peace and patience. It's, it's all driven by him. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this Trinitarian faith that we have, and he's moving in us to produce this hope, at least the faith and love. Amen? I wonder if you'd bow your heads for a moment. Do you know that hope? Have you set your mind on that hope of heaven, the hope of Jesus, the hope of forgiveness, the, the inheritance? Have you set your mind on him, your heart on him? How's, how's the faith in your life being expressed? How's the love being expressed? What kind of fruit is the gospel producing? Have you understood the grace of truth and responded? And like Epaphras, are you, are you a fellow servant? Are you a faithful minister? Are you, is the love of the Spirit in you? What's happening in your life that shows this kind of love? Would you just ask the Holy Spirit what he would have you do today? Holy Spirit, we, we thank you for the work that you've done in our life. We know that you continually draw our attention toward the beautiful one, toward the work of Jesus and the Father. But we're thankful for the work that you do. And we invite you to work in us, to show us where we've failed, to show us where we've sinned, to show us where we need to, to respond to you and be obedient to you.
Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here today who's never called upon you to be saved, that today would be a day that they would call out to you. Maybe the preaching of hope has lit something inside of them and they want that hope. And so God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead them to call upon Jesus and be saved. I know there are others in this room that they've done that. But maybe there's an area in life of disobedience. Forgive us, Lord. Show us where where we need to, to obey. Just as the ladies pray, I would say to you, Rather than singing this morning, I just want them to pray and I want you to, to listen to the, the Holy Spirit for a moment. And if you need to make a public decision, I, I promise you there's not a person in this room who would not gladly get out of the way for you to get by. Tim and Ronnie and I would be happy to meet with you and talk to you. coming forward is something you just uneasy about. I'll be here at, at the front and Tim will be in the foyer and Ronnie will be at one of the doors. We'll be here and, and, and we'd be happy to talk to you after church. Father, we praise you. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for faith and love. I thank you for great teachers and great writers who helped me this week. I hope that in some way I've been able to do for those who are here what they did for me. Open our eyes to that hope, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I think um, it's not often I make executive decisions, and I can't make this really. It's going to be something we'll have to do, but I think what I'm going to discover in Colossians is there's no way that we're going to be done by 930. Um, 935 is, is good, okay? And, and I know that puts Sunday school back. So I think what we're, we may do is just push everything back five minutes. And, and just let me time, give me time to talk to the deacons. But we'll um, start the contemporary service five minutes later, Sunday school five minutes later. And that gives us a little bit more of a break so you can get in and teach um, and do the Sunday school that you need to do. Um, but I'm glad you're here. And I'm going to ask our ushers to come to the doors. And, um, and please... You voted on a new budget. I encourage you to give to that budget. Uh, I've told you before, if the 200, giving, 200 or so giving units in our church would each give $10 more a week, 
we would well go over our new budget. And so I'm going to ask you to accept that challenge, as Kim and I accept that challenge, and to be faithful there. Would you stand? Let me just read this blessing to you as you bow your heads just for a moment. May the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thank you.